When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 190. And just ahead, will Tinder turn back up the heat in 2023? And how Whirlpool sees an end to inflation. And a software company enabling pharmaceutical giants to test the safety of new drugs digitally. Simulations Plus CEO Sean O'Connor joins us for a fascinating interview. But first... It's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with Era. Customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And there are so many ways to listen to the Drill Down podcast, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn. But hit the subscribe button so you can catch every show. And the drill down is also brought to you by Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. Right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the drill down. We're gonna explain the business stories behind some stocks in a move. Joining me as always from Los Angeles, executive producer, Isaac Webster. Isaac, welcome. Thank you, Corey. And welcome to you as well. What stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, as I sit here from the heights of the San Francisco Ferry Building, I'm surrounded by computers. You don't And lots say. of them working on applied micro devices, AMD chips, AMD reported results that I thought were really telling about where we are in the world of computing right now. AMD uh, shares have risen 28% since the start of the year, 2023. So one month that's in, uh, that's a big jump. Uh, although if you look at a 12 month chart, they've fallen 29%. So, you know. So still down despite back that, uh, call it 30% rise in the early year. Well, uh, interesting yeah. company, you know, uh, uh, AMD, uh, I certainly didn't see uh, an end to the dominance of Intel uh, AMD seemed like a, just a sidekick for the longest time, but AMD has remained resilient in recent years and even made gains uh, in their sale of data center chips against Intel. I told you I'm surrounded by all these people doing all this computing, and a lot of the computing they're doing is not on the devices that they are using necessarily, but on the cloud. And the data center uh, business uh, for AMD is is doing fantastically, and more so as we saw their results um, uh, in the most recent quarter. And, and this is such an interesting time, right? We've had so much um, talk over the last year or so about slowdowns because of supply chain, particularly in semiconductors. We've seen the CHIPS Act pass through Congress from the Biden administration that's going to put a lot of money into domestic uh, creation of chip fabrication facilities over the course of the next decade, uh, trying to move a lot of that away from not just away from China, but a lot of it away from Taiwan where there's some geopolitical risk to the global supply chains. Very interesting uh, developments, and AMD sitting right in the middle of that. 
So how many data centers do they run? Do they operate them so themselves? Their, their chips or? are probably in every data center in the world run by every company in the world. And, and it is a battle between Intel chips, AMD chips, custom chips, CPU chips in particular, custom chips that companies like Apple and Facebook and Google have all contracted to have manufactured, but don't actually manufacture themselves. So this is the share of AMD chips inside those data centers around the world. Yeah, I don't have I don't have a, a, a market share number, but what we did see was terrific growth for their yeah. business. So PC sales way down, right? So we saw a lot of PC sales uh, uh, going to, uh, in particular, to laptops and home desktops during the pandemic. That stuff is washed up. Meanwhile, you've got corporate sales way down because you're seeing corporations right. pull back whether or not we're going to get into a recession in the future or not. They're taking some preemptive steps and pulling back. And so they saw a 51% drop in revenue from what they call the client segment, that's PCs. Um, and mm. meanwhile, they saw a 42% increase in revenue in their data center segment to $1.7 billion. So their data center chip business was more than twice, well, just about twi almost twice the size of their PC business, which is just remarkable, but it shows where we are. It shows really where computing is happening. And then you ask the question, where will computing be happening? And what's the next big trend in technology? It's AI, it's artificial intelligence. And these guys are putting a big bet into AI with the expectation that, that will be a driver of their growth. Here is CEO of AMD, Lisa Su. We believe that AI is a huge driver of you know, compute growth. And given our portfolio, um, it should be a driver of you know, our growth as well. I think if you think about the product sets, um, that we are, you know, uh, putting, you know, sort of AI content in, you should expect, uh, you know, MI300, of course, um, on the GPU training side. Uh, we just launched Ryzen AI um, in our um, PC portfolio. Uh, you can expect um, additional, you know, AI acceleration uh, coming in our server portfolio as well. So you're going to see AI broadly across um, our, our roadmaps. Um, in terms of, you know, when, you know, we've talked before about sort of our data center GPU ambitions and, um, the opportunity there, uh, we see it as a large opportunity. Um, as we go into the second half of the year and launch MI300, you know, sort of the first user of MI300 will uh, be the supercomputers or El Capitan, but we're working closely um, with some large cloud um, uh, vendors as well uh, to qualify MI300 and AI workloads, and we should expect that to be more of a meaningful contributor in 2024. So uh, lots of focus on, you know, just huge opportunity, um, lots of investments, um, in software as well to, uh, you know, bring the, um, the ecosystem uh, with us. So big expectations, uh, therefore, AMD in the AI business. And they really think that uh, uh, that's going to be a driver for them going forward and are custom designing chips to be able to do that kind of data center processing of artificial intelligence information. Corey, what is your next drill down? Speaking of high tech, let's look at Whirlpool. Whirlpool. Uh, Whirlpool trades under WHR and shares have risen 6% since the start of 2023. Still, they've fallen 26% in a year, currently trading around 153 bucks a share with a 52-week high of $211 a share. Whirlpool, uh, always a, a, a soft place in my heart for Whirlpool. You know where the company's based? I don't. It is based in Benton Harbor, Michigan. 
And so Michiganders do this thing for you because I was born near there. I grew up in New York, but I was born near Benton Harbor, Michigan. And uh, gotcha. uh, Michiganders do this thing where they, when you ask someone from Michigan where they're from, they hold up their hand. Do you know this thing? I uh, know they use their hand as a map. Correct. You hold it up like a glove. Uh-huh. And so if you're, uh, if you're holding up with, with your, with your thumb pointing to the right and your fingers are close together, if you uh-huh. look all the way to your left to your thumb, on the outside of your hand, the base of your thumb, well, the base of the left side of your hand, again, if your thumb's point on the right side, on the left side would be about where Benton Harbor and St. Joseph, Michigan there, on the southwestern part of the state, right on Lake Michigan, right on opposite sides of the St. Joseph River, Whirlpool headquarters in Benton Harbor for a very long time. But the company's a very different company than it used to be. They own some brands beyond Whirlpool. They own their former competitor, Maytag. They own KitchenAid. Uh, and uh, they have uh, suffered greatly from the supply chain issues that bedeviled so many companies in the last few years. They did report a big decline in revenue for the last quarter, the quarter, the fourth quarter of the year. They had a 15% decline in revenue down to just under $5 billion. But they've taken a lot of actions about getting rid of some units that weren't working, restructuring, their COO is leaving. And that is, they say, is going to result in somewhere between $800 and $900 million in benefits uh, from cost cutting. They also finished the acquisition of the Emerson Electric Insincorator business. I guess huh. it's garbage disposals. They spent $3 billion. It's a really big business. You wouldn't think garbage. I don't, I wouldn't think garbage disposals was as big a business as it is. Um, they're also pulling out of a lot of European operations. And they say, ultimately that's going to be just cost cutting for them. And that wasn't that profitable to them. But I thought what was most interesting is that they are already looking into 2024 and what they're going to expect in terms of inflation or the lack thereof. And they say because supply chain disruptions are kind of over and the slowdown in demand that they've seen uh, even in the recent quarter is, is offset by their ability to raise prices and reduce the selection to customers, they think they're really set up for a strong 2024. Yes, we're already talking about that here just barely into February of 2023. But these guys looking at getting out of Europe lack of inflation, a repaired supply chain, things setting up well for Whirlpool in 2024. Here's CEO Mark Bitzer. I think you're correct in the read that there's a lot of positive elements with, which will come through in 24. Um, first of all, um, as you heard from my prepared remarks, there's a lot of reason to believe that consumer demand, in particular U.S. housing, as it exits 23, will head into much stronger years um, because, as you know, there's fundamentally structurally undersupplied housing market in North America, but not only North America, which at one, at one point been materialized. Um, so that's on the demand side. Also on the cost side, um, with the heavy lifting, which we're doing now on the cost reduction, we will reset our cost base, which will set us up very well for 24. In addition, you have other elements. You have, you know, the full contribution of integrator on, on, on the margins and the cash flow. Um, and, you know, assuming that we can close the European transaction, that on its own will give an additional lift on cash flow and by definition on, on margins as you look at the total company. So with all of that in mind, um, yes, in 24, I would say we're much more confident where we're heading um, towards these long-term shareholder value creation targets, which we set out. So, and I think 24 from that perspective will be a critical proof point. And at this point, we're pretty confident towards that. So again, a different kind of whirlpool coming into uh, this year, and they think the benefits will really accrue in the coming year of 2024. 
Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at match group. Well, there's a whole lot of looking going on. It uh, sounds like it. Match group uh, trades under MTCH and shares have risen 23% since the start of the year. Another good start to the year. Uh, but they've tumbled 55% over the past 12 months, currently trading around $50 a share with a 52-week high of 121. What's going on in match group? A little bounce back? Match.com, Tinder, Hinge, all those things under the doors, under the, under the roof of, of, of this uh, New York-based company. Um, and uh, uh, I have rarely heard a conference call where the company talks so much shit about its own products. But with an acting CEO <laughs> in, a new guy, he went on and on about the, the, the weak uh, product uh, development. He kept talking about what a great culture it was and how thrilled he was to be the acting CEO. But in fact, every one of their products apparently wasn't being developed well at all. Um, Tinder okay. uh, drove, you know, the, the biggest thing they've got there of many different uh, dating apps, but they had their first quarterly decline in revenues ever. And the new CEO is saying that poor product execution was a significant culprit, direct quote. Tough economy, stronger dollar didn't help. Hinge uh, certain product improvements they didn't get together. Um, they also said they're going to take some big charges, uh, $6 million in 2023, and cutting their marketing spending, their headcount, their real estate expenses to try to uh, uh, cut costs. Now, interestingly, among the numbers, and they are, I, I, I like companies that release a lot of metrics, and these guys do. Um, interestingly, they said the number of paying clients on Tinder and across the board, but particularly on Tinder, were, was down, down 1%. Uh, they lost 171,000 U.S. users alone for paying customers. But the revenue wow. per payer was up 4%. So to me, that okay. just means it's a, a better business, right? You said that whatever the average payer yeah. is paying is up. You might lose some people who are paying less. That's okay. Get rid of the cheapskates. I want those Tinder big spenders. Yeah, and maybe they were bots anyway. Um, uh, the payers weren't ever bots, but the payers are what they're after, of course. And uh, Chief Financial Officer Gary Swindler, if you blink, you'll see his name is Swindler, but that is not his name. It's Swindler. Gary Swindler is the Chief Financial Officer. And he talked about this change that they're going, under, uh, going through a Tinder, particularly in the fourth quarter, where they're moving away from um, these younger consumers with less discretionary income and their inability to spend on the paying side of Tinder, also with Hinge, uh, and the notion that maybe going forward there might be fewer paying members but more revenues uh, at the end. Here's CFO Gary Swidler. You know, the fourth quarter Tinder's payer number was really affected by a couple of things, which I, you know, kind of just alluded to. The first is the overall, you know, macro weakness and the pressure on the consumer, the younger consumer, consumers with less discretionary income which is definitely impacting Tinder and the Tinder payer numbers generally, um, as well as the product weakness and lack of product momentum that, that Tinder uh, did not achieve in Q in, in, in 2022. And so that manifested itself throughout the year and, you know, led to a weaker Q3 and Q4 from a Tinder payer perspective, as well as a Tinder revenue growth perspective. Um, and so those are really the two key factors that are affecting what you see um, in the Tinder payer number in Q4. The, um, the thing that maybe uh, we didn't talk about as much on the last call, which we did end up doing starting in Q4, and we're going to continue to do in Q1, and probably through most, if not all, of 2023, is 
we are doing uh, a bigger focus on product, uh, sorry, on pricing optimizations. And that's a big initiative for us. We're basically at Tinder eliminating more of the intro pricing and discount pricing uh, than we had been planning to previously. That's having an adverse effect on the Tinder payer numbers, and that's what happened in Q4, but it's relatively neutral to revenue. So there you have it. Uh, more revenue for each uh, user at uh, Tinder should be good for them. The cheapskates who are just on there to lurk and lurk like me. No, I'm actually not. When this company first came out, I ever tell you this story? We've covered this company before. I hope I haven't told the story before. But uh, when Tinder first came out and, and I was flying back from New York and the CEO was going to join us on a TV show that we were doing, Isaac, I was um, trying to get ahead of my day, feeling like I'd wasted too much time and the airplane hadn't worked enough. So I download the app for this company that's coming on the show the next day. And they're like, oh, it's Tinder. And I'm like, okay, how's this? And I download the app. I'm in the uh, the Uber coming from the airport, heading back to San Francisco. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. It's like hot or not. And I'm flipping through the thing. I was like, oh, oh this is weird. Now I feel bad. She's kind of And I, I don't know. And so I feel like I'm, this I'm is going to have a really sad the, ending. Into what you use. Well, no, then I come across one of our Bloomberg colleagues. Okay. Bloomberg on the Tinder app. I'm like, well, shit, if I swipe right, does that mean I like her and I'm sexually harassing a colleague? If I swipe left, does it mean I don't like her and I'm just harassing her? What do I do with this? Oh, God. Delete, delete, delete. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you shouldn't be on there. But look at that. You know, they went from a stupid little app going on our show to this great big company that's finally gotten to a point where their business is not growing anymore. Congratulations. Welcome to adulthood Tinder. All right, coming up next. <laughs> Interesting company here. Uh, Simulations Plus does something that's seemingly impossible. They take what happens in a test tube and human trials of drugs, and they do it on computers and with software. They help uh, companies try to figure out if their drugs are safe and efficacious all digitally. Yeah, that's a thing. It's a big business. Simulations Plus CEO Sean O'Connor joins us right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. Welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We are joined right now, as promised, by Sean O'Connor. He is the CEO of a company called Simulations Plus. Uh, and it's a it's a fascinating company that if you don't know the med tech business or the biotech business, you might be surprised to find out so many of the tests done on potential pharmaceuticals uh, and so on are done with software, have been for decades Simulations Plus, a leader in that business. Sean, glad to have you on. Uh, thank you, Corey, for having me. I look forward to uh, telling the uh, Simulations Plus story. Well, tell me the story. Well, we, uh, you know, our quiet little business that has been in place, we celebrated our 25th anniversary last year. So we're 26 years old now uh, and have quietly been working in the pharma biotech uh, industry in support of a transition to in silico modeling and simulation as a uh, key tool to use to uh, reduce cycle times. You know, a drug uh, billion and a half dollars on average to uh, bring it to market, 10 years, 12 years time frame, and a terrible batting average of about 5,000 drug candidates worked on for every one that gets uh, uh, through the pipeline and approved into market. And um, uh, our existence is to try and 
My God, that's like last year's San Francisco <laughs> Giants. Um, so to to that end, I say that because you and I are both in Northern California. You maybe feel my pain. Um, to that end, how much is this? I couldn't get a. I I get a sense of how big the opportunity is. Um, I get a sense of of what you guys have done, but I don't. I can't tell how much this software is actually being used, uh, and and how prevalent the usage of it is in terms of. Um, uh, new development of drugs. Yeah, it's uh, being used in its most basic form for the production of basic pharmacokinetic, pharmacodynamic information profiles on drugs across all drugs under development, but it's more sophisticated applications that impact uh, clinical trial protocols, key decisions uh, along the 10-year continuum is very much still an in a process uh, adoption, uh, early stage adoption cure. Um, the FDA regulatory bodies around the world uh, began to embrace and are uh, endorse, provide guidelines and support. And that certainly has spawned uh, a rapid uh, adoption of the techniques more broadly than just the basics of profiling a drug where it began. Are there a lot of drugs or some drugs that are developed without this? Uh, in its basic format, uh, that basic profiling is done on every drug uh, that's out there. Um, but uh, I would say that it's expanded and, you know, all uh, pharma biotech companies while playing, dipping their toe in the water in terms of modeling and simulation. It's been really the large pharma companies that have devoted resources there. And that's now broadening out to the medium, small size pharma companies and, and small biotech companies as well. Maybe you can paint a before and after for me. Give me an example. If it's real world, even better, but a case study of a business that a drug that was developed in a certain way or a version of a drug developed a pre-modeling software and post-modeling I'll, software. I'll give you a, a, a good example. There's, there's all kinds of different examples you can imagine where impacting decisions in the early stages when they're just optimizing, uh, prioritizing drugs to take into the clinic. We're impacting all the way 10, 12 years later in terms of aftermarket. I'll give you a good example. Uh, a large pharma company that had a drug approved by the FDA, <clears throat> but in scaling it up for manufacturing encountered a manufacturing issue that required a formulation change. In the past, pre-modeling and simulation, Wait, let me. I'm, I'm going to pull, unpack that too. What do you, What do you mean the formulation change? You mean they, they couldn't? The uh, was too gooey or what? Like I can't tell me what didn't work. It just didn't work. It yeah, you know, drugs take all forms: injectables, patches, uh, the old-fashioned swallow of a of a pill uh, has a recipe to it uh, of ingredients, active and otherwise ingredients that make up that drug. And the scaling up of manufacturing sometimes encounters. Uh, instability, uh, a quality issue in terms of scaling up to mass production. It may require a tweak to that formulation that makes it more manufacturability, uh, manufacturable. And uh, in this case, um, the client encountered that. Um, typically, the FDA would say, hey, go back to a clinical trial in a new formulation, and you have to reprove everything. Uh, using modeling and simulation, using Gastro Plus, our flagship product, client was able to develop and basically simulate the clinical trial that would have had to have been performed and demonstrate to the FDA that there was a equivalence in the old formation that was approved and the new form formulation that could be manufactured. And the FDA issued a bioequivalent uh, bioequivalency waiver 
Uh, and uh, this is, uh, you know, taking place at, uh, on, on many types of decisions like that, where the FDA has previously required a significant amount of work, but using in silico modeling and simulation techniques have shortened timeframes. Big impact in terms of both the cost of going back and reperforming clinical trials, um, and even bigger impact in terms of delaying by what could have been a year in terms of getting that uh, newly approved drug in the hands of the patients that needed them. And land hundreds of millions of dollars and maybe not even a year. A whole new clinical trial means all new enrollees into that trial and everything that you I need to do I was being generous that. by saying a year, yes. <laughs> so um, it, it seems to me that the approval of the FDA and the FDA's guidance on this is, is um, on the usage of these model, this modeling is everything for your business. Yeah, very, very critical in terms of the regulatory support, support here. <clears throat> and what really has spawned the adoption is the regulatory agencies, the FDA, FDA uh, utilizing the modeling and simulation techniques themselves in order to evaluate drug submissions that are coming to them. Um, so they are using it to expedite their ability to assess um, clinical trial protocols and ultimately the output of those clinical trials as to what they say about targeted uh, patient populations and the labeling instructions for that drug and what they should uh, and should not say. So uh, regulatory agencies are key in this process. And there's also an element of, you know, the lawyer never goes into the courtroom and asks a question they don't know the answer to. Um, the pharma companies, biotech companies know that the FDA is using these techniques. They don't want to go to the FDA without having performed this type of work as well in anticipation of what the FDA may re respond to them with. It seems also that, um, I mean, how much of the magic of these of the software output is the design of the software and how much of it is the design of the actual test, which is to say the, the inputs and the questions and the data that is fed into the software to analyze, you know, I would imagine that, that designing a, a drug for kidney malfunction is very different than designing a chemotherapy drug. Um, and that you really need a lot of different kinds of inputs into the study, into the software to do this. Absolutely. Study. Data is king in terms of any data analysis. And so our software, uh, the projects that we perform in support of our client uh, is uh, really critical in terms of the public data that is uh, accessible about a drug class, uh, about the biology, um, and as well the private data that that client may have based upon their previous development work on that target candidate, drug candidate, and other drug candidates that they've uh, developed uh, uh, in time. Um, data in, data out uh, in terms of uh, uh, predictive capability here. And, you know, in some cases, that's uh, <clears throat> the length of the impactfulness of modeling and simulation, the length of adoption, um, has really been built over 20, 25 years here and has really followed where drug development spend has gone from a therapeutic area. Modeling and simulation cut its teeth with impact in cardiac drug development, which was very prevalent in the 90s. Uh, uh, Lipitor was a drug that uh, um, utilized modeling and simulation in its first instance in a big way. Today, uh, applications in oncology <clears throat> excuse me, neuroscience, areas of uh, deep uh, investment in terms of drug development today are really growing in terms of their use of modeling and simulation to be predictive. <clears throat> and especially in those two patient populations, 
the accuracy of the protocol um, and uh, increasing the predictive likely outcome of them uh, given the at-risk patient pro profile that uh, those drugs are for is critical in terms of modeling and simulation. And are you able to use the, the data sets that you gather from, you know, uh, uh, any, any number of um, uh, studies in a certain area and then apply them for your new clients in the new areas or does the data stay with the well, customer? Certainly there, there is a, a wall between public and private information. Uh, drugs as they're developed and ultimately when they're approved, <clears throat> any information that's filed with the FDA becomes public um, in terms of development um, of uh, uh, drug information in the academic world gets to be published and then becomes uh, visible. And the pharma companies along the way as well will uh, will uh, uh, make public some information. But there's a whole host of detailed information that is private to, the, to each of those companies. And there we have to sit in a, a careful role of keeping that segregated by clients. We can't share client data across, uh, across our clients, sure. uh, but uh, we can the public information. But it seems like there's got to be an opportunity for if one client figures out a way to take the public data from, I don't know, from Harvard Medical Systems and then from Kaiser and format in such a way that it can be used with your software, that that public data now formatted and used with your software could then be made available in that formatting to other customers developing drugs for similar uh, um, conditions or similar parts of a Yep, know, no, the there certainly has been a, a number of public uh, ventures, publicly made available databases that have been originated in the hands of academic organizations. Uh, uh, Harvard Medical School is, is one active participant in that. Uh, some of these consortiums and data warehouses have been uh, built by uh, groupings of uh, pharmaceutical companies. Um, private uh, uh, organizations in terms of uh, um, the uh, nonprofits out there as well make their data uh, available uh, in a public format. So there's a whole host of uh, information. And then there's aftermarket uh, information, all of that uh, EMR investment that's been made over the years and the retention in a dig digital format of patient information Electronic medical records, data yeah. availability tremendously. It seems that uh, as, as you grow this business that there's some, I, what I'm trying to think of is the ways that this business can grow faster than Moore's law, right? That the computing power that, that increases and gets cheaper is obviously a boon to your business, but that there are certain triggers that can really accelerate growth. What, what, when you look at the world, what, what, what's, the, what's the toughest nut for you to crack that can really unlock some growth? Yeah, we, we live in a world of science and uh, that science is uh, sourced in uh, chemistry, physics, uh, biology, all of those disciplines come together. And so uh, there are uh, barriers in terms of the mechanical process of data that we've touched upon here. There are barriers in ter terms of our knowledge of biology, for example, and how does the liver operate? And that is an ongoing process that when I look back 20 years ago when we began this process, we were modeling drugs with a big unknown of where those drugs ended up in the biology. Today, we have greater understanding. One of our products is uh, called uh, Dilisem. It's a drug-induced liver injury uh, model that has been developed over the last 20 years that is basically just focused on the liver and allows us to take drugs and insert it into a model that uh, gives us a, you know, an insight into the potential toxicity of a drug. 
And so that development of that biology and the advancement of science in all of these disciplines of uh, chemistry, biology, physics, data science, uh, all of these come together. And as those sciences advance, our ability to make more accurate and impactful the models that we build uh, increases as well. Well, you certainly can see it in the uh, growth in your business, the revenue growth in your business. Um, it's been uh, it's been impressive and uh, it's got to feel good to do that kind of good work as well. Yeah, you know, I, I've, I've been in this industry for almost 30 years now and uh, I enjoy working in an environment where ultimately uh, while as a CEO, I'm responsible for delivering return to shareholders. In the end, uh, my banner and the banner of the company is to improve health uh, for patients out there. And so uh, it's with great satisfaction that we see the advancement of modeling and simulation in helping bring drugs to market uh, quicker and uh, hopefully cheaper uh, without getting into all the uh, other ramifications of drug pricing and all those sorts of things. It is a, a great place to be in terms of trying to help people uh, who are in need of help uh, battling very difficult uh, diseases. All right, Sean O'Connor is the CEO of Simulations Plus. We appreciate your time uh, joining us so we can understand the company a little bit better. Coming up next, we're going to understand this company even more with our bite, the Drill Down Bite coming up next about Simulations Plus right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A.com. Spread the word, share the love, tell people about the Drill Down podcast, tell your friends why you like to listen to our show. Maybe leave a review for us on Apple iTunes. It takes just a minute, but it helps uh, us look more real to the world and the people, the fine folks at Apple, so other people can start to discover this podcast and hopefully enjoy it as we hope that you have as well. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. We are back with the Drill Down Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot. The number is 1,300, 1,300. Isaac, 1,300 publications have cited the data from Simulations Plus uh, that, that have come out of their, their modeling and have been used to prove the efficacy of drugs in, again, 1,300 different uh, peer-reviewed medical publications. Uh, so it, is, it has really made a mark on uh, the, the approvals uh, of drugs and the discovery of, of what really works in modern medicine. Yeah, it seems uh, that they uh, are it's like very safe in their lane. Hopefully, hopefully, safety is a whole name of the game there, right? <laughs> and, you know, there's so much excitement right now about um, Chat GPT and and yeah. Dolly two and and the uh, the uh, artificial intelligence, where you're seeing some of this really kind of the same kind of thing. This this extraordinary sets of model modeling uh, to come out with a, to come out with some output that's very functional in the world, uh, in this case, in medicine, it's been going on for a long time. And we need more of it. I mean, if the last, if the pandemic hasn't taught us anything. More pills, baby, more pills. <laughs> exactly. Whatever it takes. And avocados. Avocados. Going back to an pills. earlier show. Right, exactly. Some combination of natural foods, maybe some good medicines when you need it. All right, you've been listening to the Drill Down Podcast. We're so grateful for your time. We hope you've enjoyed your show. I mean, it's your show. It's not my show. But I helped make it. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster really helped make it. He's our executive producer. And Ben Wilson, he's really the secret sauce, our editor extraordinaire. Amen to that. Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.